Well, for those of you who are expecting Pastor Tim to come up this morning, we apologize. I was going to say you're getting a second string, but then that would make Pastor Ron and Pastor Mike feel bad. So, so I'll say you're getting fourth string. Uh, we'll just go with that. Uh, Pastor Tim uh, is away this weekend helping uh, his son, Greg, and, and his wife, Lindsay, move. Uh, and so I get the opportunity to share with you on a very special day this morning. One of the most beautiful things that we can experience in this world is the fact that we can have a relationship with the God of the universe. The fact that we can have a relationship with God Almighty, the sovereign God who is ruler over all things. That is one of the most beautiful things in all the world. And this morning, as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, that is what I want us to focus on, is that you and I, even though we are sinners, we are fallen, and, and, and if we proclaimed everything that's going on in our hearts and minds 24 hours a day, seven days a week, people would be appalled at the sin in us. But we, those who are sinners, can still have that relationship with God. That's the story of the Bible, the story of God's redemptive plan, how he was taking men and women and redeeming them and bringing them to himself, pursuing a relationship with his people who have broken that relationship, and yet he offers grace and mercy and forgiveness in spite of our disobedience. So in celebrating communion together, we are remembering what God has done, not only for us, but what he has been doing throughout history. So this morning, we're going to take a look at God's redemptive plan. We're not going to look at all the details of God's plan. Obviously, that's what scripture is all about. But instead, we'll be taking kind of a panoramic glimpse view of God's redemptive plan through the lens of our main text this morning, Hebrews chapter 9 and in verse 22. Hebrews 9 verse 22 tells us this, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That is the context, the lens upon which I want us to filter everything else that we're going to look at together this morning. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And our first point this morning that I want us to look at is the garden and Passover. It is coming. From the beginning of time, God set aside that he had a plan for the redemption of sinners. God himself was going to make a way so that we could have that relationship with him. But what we see in the garden is sin and death. Sin and death in the Garden of Eden. Even though mankind had perfect fellowship, Adam and Eve had a perfect fellowship and relationship with God. They broke that relationship through their own disobedience. God had given them a very clear command as he related to them and said, you can eat of the fruit of any of the trees in this garden, but this one, stay away from this one. This is, this is one tree that is not for you. For if you eat of it, you will surely 
die. And it's amazing to me that Adam and Eve, and in their frail humanity, it, even though they had this life-on-life experience of worshiping God and relating to him, and he gave them one command to obey, that they still violated that command and disobeyed God. Adam and Eve broke the fellowship that they had with God because of their sin. Because they chose to say, God, I know that that's what you said, but I think that my way is better. I think that this would be just fine. They chose to listen to Satan when he tempted them. When the serpent came to them and said, you will not surely die, they chose to believe that. Instead of believing what it was that God had commanded them and what God had told them. You see, they chose their own way and broke that relationship that they had with the creator of the universe, their intimate heavenly father that they walked with. And we see in the Garden of Eden that sin and death are intrinsically linked. Because as soon as Adam and Eve sinned and they they violated the command of God, their relationship was separated from God. But to restore that relationship, something had to die. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. In Genesis 3.21, we see that God provided a means for restoring Adam and Eve's fellowship with himself. We read, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God himself took care of what was necessary to cover Adam and Eve in their sinful state. Because of their sin, they, they were separated from God, and they were hiding from God, and they were, they were trying to, to, to get away from and hide from their loving Heavenly Father. And God took animals and made skins to cover them in their sinful state. God himself shed the blood of these animals to cover Adam and Eve. Because sin has to have a consequence. Sin has to be punished. Because our God is holy and righteous and just, sin cannot go on unpunished. So God himself took the means and made everything, did everything that was necessary to cover Adam and Eve's sin. And then Jumping forward in history, we see that sin, there, there's sin and death and the Passover. And we, we can take a glimpse of this panoramic view of God's redemptive plan that includes the Passover. Israel had become God's people. Israel had this special relationship with God. He was their God, and they were his people. But because of their disobedience, Israel had been in Egypt in bondage and slavery for over 400 years. They were oppressed. They were enslaved. Because that's what sin does. When we violate the principles of God, there are, there are earthly consequences to that. And Israel w- was experiencing those consequences in their lives. They were literally enslaved and oppressed. That means that, that the people of Egypt w- w- could have their way with them. They didn't have rights. They didn't have privileges. They didn't have the things that people should be able to enjoy in this world. Instead, they lived a life of servitude. Slaves 
literally in bondage, much like people are in slavery to sin. Sin has consequences. And, and so you would think that people in Israel would have understood what it meant to have that relationship with God and to not want to violate that, but instead they did their own thing, just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They continued that, that history of sin, that cycle of disobedience, because, you know, sometimes we criticize people around us that sin. Even Adam and Eve, we say, oh, well, if I had fellowship with God in the Garden of Eden, I would have never done that. But the reality is, is that we're just as broken and sinful as they are. And we look at Israel and we say, but God was your God and he like did all these miraculous things for you and he was leading you and he was speaking to you and he was declaring his word and you had the books of the law. How could you disobey? It's because they're people, just like us. And sin had ruined the world. Sin had affected everyone. So we see sin and death continuing to have this pattern in their lives. But God was going to do everything that was necessary, even for his people Israel. So he raised up Moses. And Moses, through a series of plagues, gets Egypt and the Pharaoh to do what God had told him to do, and that is let my people go. But the last plague, the last plague is the one that I really want us to focus on in God's redemptive plan through history. The final plague was the death of the firstborn. The Passover is what it would be called. But during that plague, all of the men and women of Israel were told, if, if you truly believe that God is the God of the universe, then you will sacrifice a lamb and you will sprinkle the blood of that lamb on your doorpost. And when the death angel comes to kill the firstborn of, of everyone throughout the nation, if the blood of the lamb is on your doorpost, if you have faith that God is who he said he is and will do what he said he will do, if you have faith in God doing that, the death angel will pass over your house and your firstborn will be all right. You see, that is the meaning of the Passover. The meaning of the Passover can te teach us a lot of things about our faith, but I want us to think about two of them just very quickly here together. The first one is that to be, delivered, to be delivered from judgment requires death. Again, through the Passover, we see without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, the death angel will not pass over your house. And instead, your son, your firstborn son, will experience the death, the death that all of us deserve. To be delivered from judgment requires death. And the second thing that we can learn is that that death, can be provided by a substitute. And to that I say amen. That is some of the greatest news in all of the, the, the history of the world. The death that you and I deserve can be provided by a substitute. But it's important for us to understand that animal sacrifice couldn't actually save the people from their sins. Animal sacrifices were not really enough. Even though God said, kill that lamb, Sacrifice that lamb and spread the blood on the, on the doorpost. It wasn't the blood of the lamb that saved the people. John MacArthur speaks of this when, when he says this. He says, the message of the Passover is God delivers through the death of an innocent substitute. But the animal sacrifices weren't that substitute. The repeated sacrifice of animals was simply a continual symbol 
of the fact that God does deliver by the death of an innocent substitute. But no animal was ever satisfactory to God. It wasn't the animal's blood that provided the salvation. It was the faith that people placed in God's redemptive plan. That God said, this is what you need to do, and I will save you. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, but the blood of those animals could never satisfy the wrath of God because it had to be a perfect, spotless, innocent, blameless sacrifice. And everything in this world is tainted and affected by sin. So for generations, God's people, the Israelites, continued to sacrifice. But ultimately what they were doing is looking forward to the promise that God would someday provide that perfect, blameless, innocent sacrifice. They were looking forward, pointing forward, constantly saying, it's coming. God's salvation is coming. And we sacrifice these lambs because we know God has a plan for the redemption of the world. We may not know all the details about what it is, but we know it is coming. And that leads us to the cross, where Jesus said, it is finished. You see, on the cross of Calvary, the final perfect lamb was slain. The perfect, innocent sacrifice for sins that, were, that was required was not an animal. It was not even a person because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It would be impossible for a human being to satisfy the demands of a righteous, holy God. It wasn't an animal. It wasn't a human. In fact, it was God himself who came in the flesh as Jesus God himself humbled himself and sent Jesus, the Son of God, to this earth to be born so that he could die the sacrificial death that you and I deserve. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So Jesus came to shed his blood because he was the only sacrifice that could satisfy the wrath of God. Because only he was perfect and holy and spotless and righteous. Only he could satisfy the demands that God had. Jesus was the sacrifice. There wasn't anything else to look for in the future. He satisfied all of the law and then died that perfect death for us. That's why we read this in John 19, verse 30, where it says, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head. And gave up his spirit. Jesus, when he was on the cross, God had poured out his wrath on Jesus. Scripture says that God turned his face away from the Christ. And then at the end, Jesus said, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. God's redemptive plan was finished. Jesus was saying, if you were looking if you were looking for the culmination, for the completion of my plan, if you were looking for the one who would be the blood sacrifice that could satisfy my wrath, Jesus is it. He is the one. 
and my plan is finished. In fact, Matthew and Mark, in their accounts of Jesus' death, give us a little bit more detail when they say that literally the veil that was used to separate the holy, holy of holies from, from the people, the, the veil behind which people could not go because God was so holy and righteous, was torn in two. Because now, through the blood of Jesus, we have access to the throne of God's grace. We have access to God Almighty. We have access to the creator of the universe, the Holy One, who is our Heavenly Father, and now who has also become our Savior and our Redeemer. Jesus gave up his spirit, tore the curtain in two, and now you and I, because of his shed blood, have access to the throne of God. And that's important, because now, when Jesus said, it is finished, that means that there are no more animal sacrifices necessary. There's no more animal sacrifices necessary because Jesus has done everything that was necessary to accomplish our salvation. No longer do we need to sacrifice animals pointing forward to the fact that someday God would send a Redeemer, a Messiah, a Savior, because Jesus was that Savior. And in fact, one of the verses, if you happen to be looking during our communion time, was John 129, where John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not behold the Lamb of God who will sacrifice himself pointing to the one. Jesus is the one. He is the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He doesn't cover them. He doesn't remind us about about God's goodness. Jesus is the Lamb who takes away our sin. And so animals no longer need to die because the Lamb willingly gave up his spirit and sacrificed himself for us as it was promised. The innocent lamb was slain because that was the only sacrifice that could please God. And when it was over, nothing else was necessary. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 illustrates this point to us where it says, and every priest stands daily in his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sacrificed. You know, as the kids would say, That's Jesus' mic drop moment. It's like he walks up, bam, it's done. He drops the mic and walks off the stage of life. Jesus accomplished everything necessary, and everything in history points to that very moment. In all of history past, it pointed forward to Christ. And since Jesus' death, all of history that has taken place and everything into the future will point back to that sacrifice. Because he offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, and he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Those who understand what Christ did and put their faith and trust in not only only that God exists, but that he 
has the plan for redemption and that that redemption was, was accomplished on the cross when Jesus died for my sins and for yours, we become part of God's redemptive plan. We become part of those who are being perfected for all time because we are being sanctified, made righteous, made holy like our Savior. And that brings us to our third point this morning, which for those of us who know Christ as Savior should be possibly the most beautiful thing in all of Scripture. We look to eternity future where God says it is done. We get to see the fruit of Jesus' sacrifice. When God said that it is finished on the cross, later in Scripture he tells us, all right, now the, the whole redemptive plan was finished on the cross, but it will be made complete and done later. Someday, we don't know when, Jesus is going to come again, and he's going to gather all of his children, those who are being sanctified, those who have believed in his name, those who have been sanctified by his blood, and he will judge sin in the world once and for all. Because unfortunately, we still live in that broken world, marred by sin, just, just like the Israelites. We live in a world that is obedient to the world and to sin and, and, and gratifying the sins of the flesh instead of obedience to God. But someday, it will no longer be that way. When Jesus said he's going to come back, when he says it's going to be done. In Revelation 21, and this is uh, verses 1 through 6, and I split it up on the screens so that we could see it well. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Isn't that beautiful? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Again, we can dwell with God as they did in the Garden of Eden before Sin, the dwelling place of God, is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. All of those things that have to do with sin, all of those things that have to do with death, all of those things will be completely gone and passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. You and I, through faith in Christ, can be those who get to drink of the spring of life without payment. Not because you and I could ever do anything to earn our salvation. Not because you and I could ever do anything to satisfy the wrath of God but because Jesus himself bore our sins, because Jesus himself shed his blood, because Jesus himself was the one who sacrificed the perfect lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And in verse six, when, he, when Jesus says, it is done, he's saying, I told you that I was coming, and then I came, and Jesus satisfied the wrath that my sin 
had to have, that, that our sin had to have. The punishment that our sin had to take was put on to Christ. And now God himself can be both just and the justifier. God himself, who was the beginning and the end, will now receive his reward. The worship of people who have been made holy by the blood of Jesus from every tribe, from every language, and from every nation, around the throne of God forever, crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So what about us right now? If you haven't ever trusted Jesus as your Savior, we're going to be celebrating communion, where we are celebrating God's plan of redemption, that he said he would make a way for our forgiveness by the shedding of an innocent lamb, and then he, provi he provided Jesus to be that lamb. And if you've never dealt with your own sin and never put your, own, your faith in Jesus as your Savior, I encourage you that this is the time for you to do that. If you have questions about that, after the service is over, visit us in the visitor center or talk to somebody during our uh, coffee bar fellowship out in the foyer afterwards. Talk to someone because you need to understand and to know that the gospel is good news for your salvation. It is God's plan for redemption. But for all of us who have already put our faith and trust in Jesus. Communion is a reminder for us that Jesus' death was that promised sacrifice, and it is complete, it is finished, and someday God will bring his whole plan of redemption to completion in heaven, in eternity forever, when he says it is done, and sin and death will be no more, and we will be able to worship him forever. I'm glad I will be part of that worship. And I hope that you too will be there as well. It's with that in mind, God's great plan of redemption, that we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together.